Corinthians 1, 1 to 11. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 11. There are Bibles on the back table if you want one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we, in, we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Uh, if you're visiting here today, my name's Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as Steve said, we're beginning a series on this book of the Bible, uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. But before we dig into those words, let's ask God to bless our time together. Loving Father, we praise you that you are a wonderful God, a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Lord, we need to be reminded again and again of those truths because we doubt it so easily uh, and we fail to trust in you because of that. And so, Lord, we ask that you would again reassure us this morning of your great love and your deep and rich compassion in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, about uh, a decade or so ago, uh, it seemed like John Farnham was continuously running a farewell tour. Uh, there'd be a farewell tour, the last ever, 
and then the next year there'd be another last ever John Farnham tour. Uh, well, today I want to begin my farewell tour to the branch. I thought, you know, it's customary for people to have one farewell sermon. I thought, well, why not do four? Uh, <laughs> just because you can. But when I uh, realised um, that I would be leaving in April, I began to think about what, what was the best thing that I could uh, reflect on with you in these last uh, few sermons that I would have together with you. Uh, what was the most important message that I thought that I could share from God's Word with you? And in many ways, I think the choice was obvious. I didn't have to spend all that long uh, reflecting on it. Because back in uh, 2014, uh, at the suggestion of one of the elders, we began a series on this book, on the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, and I'm not sure how many people remember it. I'm guessing based on the number of uh, positive responses I've had this week, asking people how many remember it, that not many remember what <laughs> those sermons, for those who were here, not many remember them. Uh, but it's always stuck in my mind as uh, a series and a study of a Bible book that was really important. Uh, for whatever reason, it seemed at the time that God really used that series in a particular, in a kind of spectacular way, in a special way. And so because of that, since that time, uh, 2 Corinthians has had a very special place in my heart. And one of the reasons for that is that it's a book that's so honest about the challenges of life and the challenges of serving God in our life. But more than that, uh, in spite of the honesty about those troubles, it's also a book that's full of hope. Uh, it's a book of contrasts, things like life and death, old and new, true and false, weak and strong. But it's not just about those contrasts, but it's about how through those things, God completely upends the way that we think about things and the world that we live in. Death becomes life. Old becomes new. Weakness is turned to strength. Again and again, in this letter that God has written to us, uh, again and again, God shows how the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, upends the world and brings hope out of darkness. And so, uh, in these last four sermons here at the branch, I want to circle back to some of 2 Corinthians. That's a bit of greatest hits, someone described it as yesterday. Uh, and Steve will be preaching on something else next week, but today and then the last three weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those favourite passages uh, in 2 Corinthians, some of my favourite passages. So I hope you'll forgive that indulgence, but I figured that no one's going to stop me, and after 10 years, I can probably just have a little bit of liberty. Uh, but my great hope is, is that in these four weeks that uh, God will use these sermons to upend our view of the world in the light of the gospel. So as I said, 2 Corinthians is a book of contrast and the contrast in this first chapter is between suffering and comfort. And Paul begins this letter by praising God on account of God's great comfort to him and also to others. So he says... In verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, if I were to ask you to describe God, I wonder what 
characteristic or characteristics you would choose to, do, to, to describe God? What would you gravitate towards? Maybe you would be inclined, first of all, to emphasize God's holiness uh, or God's love or his justice or his power. And of course, all those aspects of God are important for us to understand. But one of the ones I think that we very often forget is the one that is here, and that is God's compassion. God wants to remind us of his compassion. In fact, the Bible here describes God not just as a compassionate God, but as the father of compassion. He gives birth to compassion. He's the source of all compassion. There is no compassion that does not come from him. He's the God of all comfort. And not only does every comfort come from him, but every comfort that we could ever need is found in him. Uh, in the first few sentences and where Paul is talking about that, he uses the word all a number of times. So God is the God of all comfort and he comforts us in all our troubles. God comforts us in every affliction, in every trouble uh, and in every difficulty. But if we belong to Jesus or if we belong to Jesus, then there's no suffering where the comfort of God is not present. There's no suffering that you can experience or uh, travel through. There's no suffering that is beyond God's reach. There's no suffering that's beyond his power. Now, that doesn't mean that when you suffer, or doesn't mean that you will never suffer, or that when you do, it will only be short. God will solve the, the problem straight away. But it does mean that when you suffer, God's comfort will always be a match for your suffering. It will always be sufficient and more than sufficient. His consolation will always meet you in the depths of your difficulties. Now, I don't know if anyone here this morning is suffering in particular ways. Over the years, I've often been amazed at how there are often people who are suffering in hidden ways that none of the rest of us know about. Perhaps that's you and that's what you're going through at the moment. Perhaps it's been something that's been in your life for a very long time. Perhaps you're not suffering at the moment, but maybe this week, Something will fall upon you that you never expected of a gravity and of a seriousness that you do not know how to cope with. But whatever it is that you suffer, it's often tempting in that situation to think to yourself that it's beyond God's power. You know, God cannot fix this. You might think to yourself, well, I know that he's done it before, uh, and, you know, I, I know that's what he says in passages like this. I know that God says that, but I just struggle to believe it. This time it's too much. I know that last time got me through it, but this time it's different. It's too hard. It's too sustained. It's too difficult. I feel too weak. But whatever it is that you are suffering now or suffer in the future, I want you to hear God's words... To you, I am the source of all compassion, God says. I am the God of all comfort. 
It's striking, I think, if that's true, that we, knowing that God is the source of all compassion, it's amazing that so often we look for our comfort and consolation in so many other places. It's interesting to ask yourself the question and revealing, I think, to ask the question, when I don't feel great, when I'm feeling down or discouraged, depressed or anxious or whatever it is, when I'm in those situations, what is it that I look to to make myself feel better? Sometimes uh, we turn to food. We talk about comfort foods. That's because we turn to food for comfort. So easy to think, look, it's been a hard day, I'm just going to spoil myself. <laughs> you know, and maybe there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it's so easy to turn to that and not turn to God as well. Not turn to God first of all. Some people turn to alcohol or drugs just to take the edge off things. Some people turn to sex. We can turn to all kinds of things to kind of medicate ourselves in our distress. But the problem with all those self-prescriptions, if you like, is that they fail to actually deeply comfort and satisfy us in the ways that we want. They give us a kind of a temporary fix, but the problem is that often they leave us feeling much more empty than we did before. We have this great, these, we set our great hopes and aspirations on them for them satisfying us deeply, but then they don't, and we end up more discouraged and more distressed than we were before. But Paul says, whatever our difficulties, whatever our sorrows, God is able to comfort us in our distress. God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our sorrows. So that's the first thing I, I want to remind you of this morning, that God is the God of all comfort. But what's so surprising is perhaps what Paul then goes on to say, about the purpose for which God comforts Paul and his ministry companions. So look at verse 4. He says, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. The purpose, somewhat remarkably, of God's comfort for Paul and his ministry companions here in 2 Corinthians, is not so that the comfort can kind of fill them up and then, and then stop there. The, the purpose is not so that they can feel better while the rest of the people around them suffer. Rather, the purpose of God's comfort for Paul and his companions is so that they can comfort others with the same comfort they have received from God. That's, I think, for many of us, so counterintuitive. The purpose of God comforting us is not simply so that we can be comforted, but so that we can comfort others. Which is another way of saying that comfort is not an end in itself, but it's an opportunity for loving and serving others. It means it's inadequate for us to receive the consolation and comfort of God and then to think to ourselves, well, that's the end of it. 
My work here is finished. I'm, I feel better. That's enough. It's inadequate because comfort hasn't reached its full purpose. It hasn't blossomed into what God intends for it until it reaches out from us to others as well. And somewhat confrontingly, that's true not only of comfort, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians, but also of suffering. So he continues in verse 5, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul says that not only does their comfort overflow for the comfort of those around them, the Corinthians, but so does their suffering and anguish. Their comfort is for the comfort of the Corinthians, but their suffering is also for their comfort. Now, the ultimate comfort that Paul has in mind that he's talking about here is the comfort of the gospel. So Paul's distress has not only overflowed so that the Corinthians might sort of generically feel better about life or something like that, but his distress has overflowed in order that the gospel might come to them. So his suffering has been so that they might hear the gospel, so that they might believe, so that they might be comforted by the news of the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ. So that's why he suffered. He suffered so that they might be saved. But Paul's not just talking about the past, but he's also talking about the present as well. That is, he suffered so that they could hear the gospel, but he's continuing to suffer as well for their ongoing comfort. The comfort that overflows in the beginning of the Christian life through Paul is the comfort that continues to to overflow as well. Uh, as he patiently endures and as they patiently endure the same kinds of sufferings that Paul has suffered, as he says in verse 6. And that reality is ultimately grounded in the dynamics of the cross, what stands at the centre of Christian faith and truth. Uh, Jesus' suffering overflows into our lives and in the same way, it, flows, it overflows into our lives for our comfort. And then it flows from us uh, into the lives of others. So this idea, there's a word here that Paul uses, which is a word, the word overflowing. It's a word that overflows through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's, it's a word that comes up again and again. But it's a really helpful idea or word for, for catching what Paul is talking about here. So if you imagine that Jesus is a glass, that's a bit of a weird thing, okay, Jesus is a glass, or maybe a jug. Think of him as a jug and wear glasses. Uh, But God pours this terrible suffering into into Christ, into this this jug. Uh, And that suffering of Christ as the eternal son uh, that he suffered on the cross, that, that suffering is just unimaginable. It's, it's enormous, but Christ absorbs it. And yet, 
a little bit of that overflows from Christ into our lives. You know, Christ takes it all on himself. He's done all that's necessary. But we catch a a taste of that as some of the the drips, some of that drips out uh, into our lives. We catch a taste of what Christ has endured. Christ, God pours this great suffering into Christ for us, for our comfort. But then, on account of that, God pours this overwhelming comfort into us. God pours suffering into Christ, that overflows to us. But then he pours comfort into our, into our little glass. And God's comfort is so enormous, so incredible, so overwhelming, that it's, it bursts the, the bounds of our lives. And overflows from us into the lives of others. It's like one of those big champagne things, you know, that you have at weddings where they pour it into the top and it just spreads out from there to everyone else around you. Paul says that's what's happening in the dynamic of the gospel as God pours the sufferings into Christ, but then his comfort into our lives as well. Paul's point is this. Jesus' sufferings overflow into our lives. We taste some of it, but God's comfort overflows into the lives of those around us. It's important to realize that a key part of God's ministry uh, of consolation and comfort includes also our suffering as well. I think uh, that many of us kind of want to share in the good news of the the good news of resurrection uh, of, that comes through the gospel, but few of us really relish the idea of also sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus says, "Whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me." Uh, few of us relish the opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ, but actually, that's sub-Christian. That's not. Christian. We're rightly wary maybe of the prosperity gospel, uh, whose lie is that if you trust Jesus, you'll be rich and wealthy and successful. But it's very easy for us to fall into the, what's sometimes called the soft prosperity gospel or the spiritual prosperity gospel, whose message is that if you trust in Jesus, life will be great. It'll be, it'll be easy. And so many of us are surprised sometimes when our Christian lives are difficult Someone visited my house the other day and they had been in a church. They had even studied at a Bible college and they said to me that they had never really heard the message that Christians would suffer. We're surprised when our lives are difficult. And many of us would take that as a sign that something's wrong. If we're suffering, then something must be wrong. But Paul says that the sufferings of Jesus flow over from him into our lives. Why is that? So that the comfort of God might overflow from us to those around us. It's so other person-centered, isn't it? It's not about me, but about God doing something through me for his glory and for the good of others. If our life is difficult, the first question we tend to ask is the personal question. What is God doing in my life and what is God trying to teach me? And those are important questions. But God shows us here that 
we need to look beyond that and to ask the question, what, what is God doing here for those around me as well? How is God loving them through this? So a much better question when you suffer is, how is God using me in this to comfort others? Uh, or if you find yourself especially comforted by God, a good question to ask is, how can God use me in this comfort uh, to comfort others as well? So it's important for us to be on the lookout for ways that we can use our suffering to comfort others and also our comfort to comfort others as well. So we've seen that God is a God of all comfort. There's no comfort that is, that can't, there's no suffering that can't be matched by God's comfort. God uses it to overflow from us into the lives of others. But how does that happen, last of all? How do God's comforts to us help those around us? What does that actually look like in practice? Well, the last few verses of this passage give us a way into understanding that. Uh, Paul gives an example there of one way that that works. He shares with the Corinthians his own experience of acute suffering, and then he goes on to spell out how God is the answer to that trouble and how the Corinthians can respond to that. So look at verse 8. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. So Paul begins by outlining here the, the, just the depth of what he was going through. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't, you, I don't want you to be ignorant of all the things that I've been going through. Why is that? Well, it's because it's only by, under, by understanding the depth of what he's gone through that they can also then appreciate the rich provision of God to meet that suffering. They were under great pressure beyond their ability to endure so that they despaired of life itself. It's so tempting, I think, for us to hide our struggles because they reveal our weakness. Or maybe sometimes they might reveal our sin. That is, maybe we're suffering sometimes, not always, but sometimes we might be suffering because of our poor decisions. And so it can be embarrassing maybe or shameful to talk about that. But the consequence of hiding our weakness is that people can never quite see the power of God or the comfort of God that rises to meet that. And so people say, how are you going? Yeah, great, fantastic. Doing really well. Now, how are you really going? Oh, look, life's a little bit tough. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uninformed because if you don't know how bad it's been, you won't know the tremendous, overwhelming, sufficient grace and comfort of God. Then in the second half of verse 9, he begins to outline the purpose of his suffering. He writes in verse 9, But this happened, this great suffering, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. Why the suffering and why this sentence of death? Paul says it's so that he and his co-workers might, rely on, uh, might learn not to rely on themselves, but on God 
who raises the dead. It's so easy for us to think that we can survive on our own, but Paul says, no, this is the... This is the enormity of what God needed to do in order that he might teach me not to rely on myself. Paul needed to be brought to the end of himself that he might learn not to rely on himself but on God who raises the dead. So here's the suffering. They despaired of life itself and here is the comfort that rises from God to meet that. God who raises the dead. My life is over. God raises the dead. God delivered them and God will deliver them again. No struggle, no suffering is beyond God's power. And Paul says we've set our hope on that. We can face anything. And I don't want to just know that for myself. I want you to know that as well. Notice that Paul doesn't leave his story with the suffering. He doesn't just say, life is really tough. He says that. But then he transforms it into a message of comfort by showing how God has answered his suffering. And it's very easy, I think, for us to do the former again without doing the latter. It's easy for us to talk about the challenges of life, if we do, to talk about the challenges of life, but then not talk about how God has used that to bring out great comfort by his power. To not share how God has been training us to do uh, these, uh, to to trust him, to rely on him, to, to share our suffering but also to share our comforts. Finally, he maps out, Paul maps out how the Corinthians can respond to this suffering and comfort that he's received from God. He says in verse 10, On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. He wants them to know the suffering. He wants them to know the comfort. But he also wants them to know how to respond. They can respond to his sufferings and comfort through prayer and praise. They can pray for Paul. Lord, be with him. They can pray that God will deliver him again. And they can give thanks to God that he has met his suffering. That he has overcome it. And that he's answered those same prayers. God wants us to be a people of prayer and praise. And our ministry of suffering and our ministry of comfort is incomplete until it issues in people being established more and more in prayer and praise. God wants us to train us through Paul's words for that end. Well, one of the most encouraging things I think that we can ever hear is those stories of brothers and sisters in Christ who have suffered and who have yet remained joyful and confident in the face of that suffering. Those can be brothers and sisters here among us 
It can also be brothers and sisters who struggle and suffer in ways more than we can possibly imagine. Don Cormack, in his book uh, on the brutal Khmer Rouge regime, the book uh, Killing Fields, Living Fields, uh, Don Cormack was a missionary to Cambodia. Uh, and he, he was a missionary before and during that period of the Khmer Rouge regime. He tells in that book the story of a Christian family who were due to be executed, parents and the children as well. And the family was ordered to dig a grave by the soldiers. They had to dig their own grave. And when they'd finally finished, the father had the confidence to turn to their executors and ask them if he and his family might be able to prepare themselves for what was coming. And so, linking hands, the father and the mother and the children knelt before the open hole that they'd just dug. But as they did, one of the children jumped up, panicked, and ran into the bushes. And the father had the presence of mind to turn to the soldiers and ask them if he could call his son back, which is what he did. He called out to his son, What comparison, my son? Stealing a few more days of life in that forest, a fugitive, wretched and alone, to joining your family here momentarily around this grave, but soon around the throne of God, free forever in paradise. McCormick writes, after a few tense minutes, the bushes parted and the lad weeping walked slowly back to his place with the kneeling family. With that, the father turned to their captors and told them, now we're ready to go. No one could doubt the sufferings of Christ overflowed into the lives of that family. But neither could anyone doubt that so too did the unspeakable, unfathomable and overwhelming comfort of Christ. And as we hear their story... The story of our brothers and sisters in Christ, these brothers and sisters in Christ. The same comfort of Christ overflows into our lives as well. None of us here have ever faced that kind of situation. But just as the reports of their comfort and suffering encourages us to persevere, so too as we share our words of suffering and confident trust in Christ, so too as we do that, the overwhelming and overpowering comfort of God overflows into our lives. It might be the words of a widow or widower as they reflect on the faithfulness of God over years of grief and loneliness. It might be the words of a Christian teenager who can trust God even as they're bullied at school and online. It might be the words of a parent who's lost their child. But as we hear their testimony of God's faithfulness and comfort, the comfort of God overflows from them to us. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, you alone know the tragedy and the difficulty and the suffering that some here have experienced, are experiencing, will experience in the years ahead. Lord, you alone know the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ spread throughout the world, what they have experienced, what they are experiencing, and what they will experience in the years ahead. But Lord, we pray that they and us would know and live and trust your true words that whatever we might suffer, your comfort is more than a match for it. Lord, we pray that as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, we ask that your comfort would overflow from us to those around us. Lord, thank you for the great privilege that we can be involved in that ministry of suffering and comfort. And we pray that it would be always for the praise of your glorious name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.